we're going to move into the preaching of God's word. All right. So Kevin Larson, he's our lead pastor. Uh, he's going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Um, that's page 817. That's page 817 if you're looking for that in the black um, house Bibles there. But that's Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. And if you're able, uh, please stand with me as we read God's word together. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let's go ahead and pray for Kevin. Father, thank you for my dear brother, um, pastor, spiritual father in many ways. Thank you for him. Thank you for his preparation. Thank you for his steadfastness. God, would you sustain him? Jesus, would you be exalted? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with joy? We pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Darren. I just turned to my son and I said, I'm going to start out the sermon this way. Usually at Carus, everyone could give away a car, but today we're just going to do a sermon. Um, no, come on, Darren. So I'm going to, I'm going to give away a book. Um, if you didn't hear uh, Patrick Schreiner preach, um, He's written this great book called Political Gospel that um, it probably, his argument is probably the exact opposite of what you think it is. It's, it's so good. The first person that comes up here afterwards, I'd love to give it to you if you promise to read it and not just put it on eBay or something. Um, it's great. But um, anyway, my wife's not here this morning um, for her to hear live um, this story I want to tell about her. But here's a way to keep a guy humble is to give him a woman that he couldn't pin for three seconds if $3 million were on the line. That's Amy, if you didn't know. She's perfect for church planning. She's really hard to keep under control. But back before we started dating in her pre-Christian days, a, a guy started yelling at her as she was pumping some gas and was getting on her nerves. So cat calls turned into cuss words, and then suddenly she had had enough. She dropped the nozzle, walked over to the guy, and punched him right in the face, right? So shock spreads across his face as blood begins to gush out of, her, out of his nose. Um, days later, he ends up calling the, the family phone. He threatens to sue. Her brother makes fun of her on the other end of the line, makes fun of him on the other end of the line, and then they never heard from the guy again, right? That's my wife. So I joke that uh, the purpose of the security team, 50% to keep you all safe, 50% to keep my wife from getting involved in the action. Um, walk in here tough, try to mess with somebody here. You might get punched in the face by the pastor's wife. Well, 
she's, um, she's not here today because she took my son to the football game yesterday, and I heard that um, after the game, some Georgia fans rushed up and got in their face and tried to act tough, but thankfully, she held back, didn't punch anyone, so Christ saves. But anyway, um, as we look at our lives, uh, the struggles that we go through, um, I think that's how we're, we're tempted to respond, to throw some punches, right? Don't we really wish that we could somehow fight back or that we'd have someone that could come along and defend our cause? Maybe raise his voice for us, throw some fists around perhaps? I think we do. We want rescue, we want relief, we want healing. We deeply desire justice, but we find in our Bibles that this all comes about in a very different way, and we see it so clearly here in Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron walked us through the verses right before, and we saw the Pharisees about to throw punches at Jesus. The Lord had called into question their teachings on their law. He'd really... Um, undermine their authority is what he did, and he left them angry, he left them offended, but more than anything, we're seeing through Matthew that he didn't live up to their expectations for this Messiah that would come, that would bring justice to their land. So verse 14 says they conspire, they're ready to destroy Jesus, and this is why verse 15 says that the Lord withdraws. Jesus isn't scared here, right? He's not running from any trouble. It's just not yet the time for him to die. There's too much teaching. There's too much ministry left for him to do. So he tries to get away. But withdrawing for Jesus, of course, never works out too well. The, the crowds keep on his heels. They continue to hound. And there's plenty of healing left for him to do also because Jesus can't help but show compassion, right? Matthew says, many followed him and he healed them all. But as a result, the people continue to get worked up. And this explains these really puzzling words in verse 16. Matthew says, Christ ordered them not to make him known. What? Why would he do that, right? Jesus doesn't want his miracles to become the focus. He's not there to be the circus. He doesn't want to keep feeding their wrong expectations either, that he's this Messiah that's going to come in and and kick butt and take names, that he'd ride into town, mounted on this big white horse, and take out all their enemies. The, the people that had stolen their land, that had oppressed them for years, smashed some Roman faces. That's what they wanted. Now, more and more miracles would have just worked up those crowds, and if the Pharisees didn't kill him, the Romans sure would. So Jesus tells them, you know, keep things quiet, but we all know how that worked out. Now, we can look at the Pharisees as well as these crowds, and we can sit in judgment on them. But are we really that much different? Really? We want our trials dealt with, right? We want justice. We want relief. We want it in our way. We want heads to roll. We want skulls to get smashed, and preferably today, now. Plus, we want it for our tribe, for our people, For those who look and talk and act like us, we do. We want the same kind of king, really. We really are tempted to want the same kind of kingdom. But Matthew here says that Christ's works fulfill some Old Testament words. And these verses tell us what our king is really supposed to be like. 
And Isaiah says that our Lord is a servant. That's where this, this, those verses come from. The Lord's a servant, and we can go to him ourselves in order to be healed. So in verses 18 through 21, we see this extended quotation from Isaiah. It comes from chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, and this is one of four sections in the book of Isaiah that have come to be called servant songs, and they point ahead to our king, to Jesus, the servant songs. Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So the this in verse 17 references the two verses before. But the question you may have that may be bouncing around in your heads is, is how is this? How does Jesus, withdrawing from the Pharisees, continuing to heal, telling the crowds to keep it on the DL, how does this fulfill the words of Isaiah 42? What in the world does this quotation from Isaiah have to do with what we see Jesus doing here? Well, a few years back, I remember visiting these pastor friends at a church over in Kansas City, and they, like us, had been given this older building, and they had saved some of the artifacts that they had discovered that were left behind. And one of the pastors had one of these displayed on his wall. And I'm not kidding here. It was this picture of this extra buff or swole or ripped or whatever they say these days, this, this super muscular Jesus. And no joke, he was riding on what clearly was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So this is what someone at some point had thought that Jesus looked like. Now, I really won't get into this, but this could be, this could be a reminder of why drawing portraits of God is not always the best idea and why the second commandment seems to speak to that because we diminish the glory of God and we often get things really wrong. But Matthew here is telling us that Jesus isn't that kind of king who doles out punches, who breathes out fire, and that's the Jews, that's what they really wanted. That's that picture that they had, that they had gotten as much as anything from the Romans. He doesn't fit the vision they had for their Messiah. Maybe what was hung on their walls, or maybe that was dancing in their heads. Matthew says, what you're seeing Jesus do here, this is the kind of Messiah that God said would be coming. Back in Isaiah, he's a servant. The quotation from Isaiah that starts in verse 18, begins with this word, behold. Behold, I want us to see him together today. I want us to take him in with our hearts in a life-changing way. Yeah, this Messiah will one day come back. He'll be the conquering king. He will give us full relief from our enemies one day. But before that, he's come as a suffering servant. He gives of himself and ultimately his life. He came not to be served, but to serve, as he says elsewhere, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is, as verse 18 puts it, God's chosen one, chosen to do his Father's will, and he is his beloved with whom his soul is well pleased. That's what it says, and if you didn't catch it, Matthew words this in a way, that sounds an awful like two really big events in Christ's life. I mean, isn't this what the Father says at Jesus' baptism when he anoints him with the Spirit? 
to take on this ministry in the first place. We saw that back in chapter three. And later, maybe the summer or so, we'll see, it's also what he says at Christ's transfiguration when he's on the mountain and he, he's just in this angelic looking glory. That'll be in chapter 17. These same words are used in both those places. But here I want you to see Three things this passage teaches us about the servant. First, he brings justice. That's what he comes to do, justice. Verse 18, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And also in verse 20, he brings justice to victory. One day, Jesus is going to make everything wrong right once again. That's what Isaiah 42 had promised, justice. But here's a thought. Jesus, it says, in healing is fulfilling these words. Healing. But the emphasis of those verses in this song is justice. So what does justice have to do with that, with this healing? Well, maybe a lot. We often talk about two types of evil when we speak of it, um, how the Bible presents it. Two types of evil that we encounter in this fallen world. On one hand, moral evil. So this is bad people doing bad stuff. Sins people do. Suffering that results. And we're all complicit in that. We're all victims of that. Moral evil. But there's also what we could call natural evil. Stuff that happens in our world that wasn't meant to be. These, this is tornadoes, tsunamis, forest fires, floods but also things like fatal car accidents and viruses and heart attacks and cancers. None of that is what God intended when he made the world. None of that is right. And maybe what we're supposed to learn here is that Jesus is one day going to fix all of that too. It may be that this idea of justice is far bigger than we think. As R.T. France puts it, justice denotes the setting right of whatever is not as it should be, the complete establishing of the will of God. Yeah, we experience some of that justice here and now, but one day he'll make all that pain go away, he'll wipe away every tear fully and forever, and that's our hope. There's healings that we'll experience here, there's healings that is to come, but Carlos, what we need to hear is the one Isaiah had spoken about all those many years before has come, behold the one who brings justice. Second, though, notice he does it with gentleness. Gentleness. Again, this confounded all their expectations. And I think it still is so shocking today. Hear these words in verses 19 and 20, again, quoted from Isaiah 42. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So this is the how. This is how the justice comes about. See how he spreads his kingdom through gentleness. It doesn't come through screaming and fighting and brawling and belittling. He works quietly in small, subtle ways. He works gently. That's what verse 19 shows us. 
But also see how he serves its citizens. Verse 20, we have these two metaphors, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. And they remind us of how gently he deals with us. So follow the metaphors. Jesus doesn't come over to this plant that's bent and toppling over and just push it until it snaps. No, he supports it. He lifts us up. He helps us to heal. Those who've been hurt, those who've been abused, he handles us with care. He's extra gentle. That's the servant who is our king. He doesn't walk over to a candle or to a lamp that's just about to go out. He doesn't give it a big puff of air or he doesn't quench the wick with his fingers. No, he keeps it aflame. He helps us to shine. He, he won't let darkness overtake those who are his. If our faith is weak, if we're barely hanging on, he's actually drawn to us. He won't push us down. He'll lift us up. So Jesus comes this way in that day to those who were oppressed by Rome, who were weighted down by the Pharisees, and he preached words of hope. He dispensed doses of justice, and he comes for us now too. So I want you to behold with me the servant who is gentle. Third, he brings this justice with gentleness to the Gentiles, the Gentiles. So that basically means non-Jewish people, but I so much broader. We, we've seen the what, justice. We've heard the how, gentleness. This is the who, the Gentiles, the world. We've seen this in verse 18. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. We've also seen it in verse 21. The other bracket, really, for this section. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. This is for the world, church. The Pharisees and the crowds. Largely, they had Israel on their minds, their tribe, theirs alone. But Jesus had much bigger things in store, right? The world, the nations, the other, the outcasts, every tribe and tongue and nation, the people over in the margins. Not too many people here have Israelite in their blood. Not too many people here have it all figured out either. But Jesus came for us, Karis. He cares about the immigrant, the refugee, the Palestinian getting bombed, the Russian soldiers dropping bombs, the addict struggling on the streets, the traitor in a Wall Street high-rise, and the kid on the island who's never heard the name of Jesus. In another of these servant songs in Isaiah 49.6, the father says of his son, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The servant brings justice through gentleness for the Gentiles. So behold him with me, Karis, the one who came for the world, and that includes us. Now, preaching is a lot easier and better, big surprise, when my heart's engaged with the passage. But times like this, the last few weeks, when I take a few weeks off in a row, I kind of have to relearn how to ride the bike again. And then it's easy to, to get um, too focused on the mechanics. You know, what's the outline going to be, the points, the theme, the, all the words. But sometimes it's hard. Um, here's how I feel like I got my heart to connect to the words this week. And I want to share it with you. Um, 
a few, few months ago, we had a guest, Robert Chong from Louisville, who came and preached, who did some training in our church. And he offers this method of Bible study, this way he calls that we can abide in Jesus, um, how to open up God's word and to really walk away changed. There's actually some copies of this on the resource table that guide you through this. But I just want to talk to you through this now. Um, as we come to the Lord in worship, we bring our realities, our circumstances and struggles along with how we're processing through those things in our minds, our hearts, our bodies. And in our fallen self, what the Bible calls our flesh, we end up processing all those things in really unhelpful ways. We believe lies, we cherish idols, and as they say a lot today, the body ends up keeping the score. This exercise helps us work through what we bring to God's word. It opens us up to healing and hope as we hear how God speaks into these realities with his truth and grace. So it's, hard, it's helpful to start by honestly asking some questions like these that we'll put on the screen. What have I been thinking about or dwelling on? What lies am I believing? Maybe you go to God's word and you're thinking, I'm not loved, I'm all alone, I have no hope, I need to give up. Two, given my reality, what am I experiencing in my heart and soul? Maybe I bring despair, a lack of joy, fear, anxiety. Three, given my reality, what am I experiencing in my body? So maybe stiffness in my neck and back, that's typical for me. Um, fluttering in the chest, um, a headache, a stomach ache, what would it be? I mean, we're whole persons, body and soul, very connected. We need to recognize that. Fourth, what do I want or desire in my flesh? Maybe to escape from my situation. Maybe someone who seems to care. Um, fifth, given my reality, how do I see God and relate to him in my flesh? Maybe I think God's left me. God doesn't care. There's no point to this. So, in that first line of questions, we tell the Lord, we bring to his word what we're thinking, what we're feeling in our hearts, in our bodies, and we ask him through his word to speak words of hope to us, and then we read a passage of scripture prayerfully, repetitively, and then we try to answer questions like these. One, how is God shepherding me from this passage? What are God's promises there? Two, Given the truths and realities in this passage, what am I experiencing in my heart and soul? Maybe we'll read something in God's word and we'll experience increased hope or peace or joy. Third, how is my body responding to how God is speaking to me from his word and stirring my heart? Maybe we see a relief from some of that pressure, from some of that aching. Fourth, how is God inviting me to live differently? What is God's word telling me about how he wants me to change my thinking, to change my feeling, to change my actions? And then fifth, what does all the above say about God and his relationship with me? So as I was walking through this exercise a few days ago, this is what hit me. There's been a significant amount of pain the last several years, and do I really believe that these words are for me, that I'm in Included in the nations among the Gentiles that Jesus is talking to here? Do I really believe that God is one day going to make things right to take away the tears, to heal our bodies? Do I believe that? And do I really trust 
this is the big one, that Jesus is handling me with care, that he's being gentle and kind. The Lord wants me to believe those things, and I believe I experienced him through his word speaking those truths over me this week. Well, I want to try to encourage you to to explore this exercise for yourself, for this passage, for others. But what about you? As, As you think about what I just shared, you maybe with broken relationships or struggling with sickness, maybe you've been victimized by abuse, maybe you're wrestling with paying your bills, maybe you've been bullied in the locker room. Do you believe that Jesus will one day make things right? that he'll heal you, that he'll bring justice for you? And do you believe Jesus is being gentle with you? In your circumstances, in your struggles, can you trust that he's handling you and your heart with care, that he's not trying to hurt you, that he's trying to transform you? Do you believe your struggles, they come from his sovereign hand and that he's good and gentle and kind? Do you believe that, friend? Jesus wants you to. He wants you to behold him in his glory. He wants you to worship him, the gentle one who will bring justice to Gentiles like us, to the broken, the bruised, the helpless, the weak. And he wants you to believe him, too, to trust what he says, to have that warm and move your heart. This is the gentleness of the servant. He welcomes us in our weakness, and he calls us to run to and find rest in him. Well, I began talking about my wife throwing around the punches. Over the past few years, she would say she felt like she's the one getting punched. Over and over, I felt the same way walking beside her. Multiple, multiple surgeries, rounds of chemo, radiation, all during COVID, all doing gospel ministry in a, a difficult time. For she and I, it's easier for us to believe that God is in control, that he will make all things right. Trusting that he's good, that's the tougher part, right? That he's kind and gentle, that he's not just throwing punches at us. What about you? Matthew here says that Jesus is a gentle servant who one day bring justice for you and for me. We may not always understand what his hands are doing, but we can trust that he is working for our good with them. Now, Isaiah again calls Jesus the king. So you have these two, two, refer- two ideas in the book of Isaiah. Go read that, it's, it's epic. But you do have the suffering servant, but you have the, the conquering king. Matthew here, though, says in verse 15 that many followed him, And we still have that invitation today to come and follow after him, to be his disciples. Today, of course, where we stand, we can see, we can grasp the full picture of who our Messiah is, and we see him as this servant. And this should change our expectations for our futures, as we've been talking about, but it should also change our our purpose for our lives today. Because it's not just about him taking away our trials in our way for our tribe. Briefly, I want us to think about how we live this out in the world. He, the servant, welcomes us in our weakness, but he also sends us out in his strength as servants to run out to represent him in the world. What type of person 
can go out, spread the kingdom, serve those around them with justice and with gentleness? Well, someone who has a father in heaven, who has a deep confidence in him, that's who. Now, to be clear, uh, we're not the eternal son of God. None of us are. Don't misunderstand. But these words in verse 18, aren't they in a sense also true of us? If we're believers, we are his chosen. Verse 18 again, we're also his beloved ones. He looks at us and because of our relationship with Christ, his soul is well pleased with us. He's also put his Holy Spirit upon us and realizing that will free us all up to live in a completely different way where we recognize that it's not just all about our trials and making them go away. With Jesus, we have a new passion, that of justice. We long for it, for ourselves, for the world around us. One day it will come, but until then, we want to be means by which that justice is spread to all those around us. Pastor Thabiti Anyabwile, he defines justice as doing the right thing for the right people at the right time in the right way to the right extent. If we're citizens of his kingdom, we'll seek justice just like our king. But we don't get rid of those troubles by our own hands in our own way. And the kingdom comes about less with punches than with prayers. We have this new posture, this gentleness like our Lord Jesus in how we spread the kingdom and in how we serve those around us. If we're his, we'll be known more for meekness, more than might. We won't be the loud people on social media, the, the crazy screaming people at the school board meetings. We won't be yelling about our rights. We'll be thinking about the needs of those around us. We'll be gentle like Jesus. And what about how we treat one another who are struggling? I love this quote from, from Pastor Scotty Smith. So he says this, a sign you're growing in grace, bruised reeds and smoking flax, the hurting, love it when you show up. Is that, is that what's said about us? We also don't just make things about our tribe will care about the other, the weak, the marginalized, the last, the least, the lost. We'll want justice for them and we'll minister to others with care. We have a new people, a bigger family that we care about and want to add to from every tribe and tongue and nation, from people that are neglected, from people, for people that are on the margins. Teju Cole wrote this book called Open City where he he writes as an immigrant from Africa in the city of New York, and it just talks about him walking around, what he experiences. But he talks, I believe near the end in that book, about the Statue of Liberty, which I just saw a week or so ago that I love. But you may not know this, but it's always been a symbol of welcome. But until fairly recently, not fairly recently, since until 1902, it was a working lighthouse. So it had a flame, right? And that flame, of course, would, would guide ships, but it also proved to be very disorienting to birds that would fly through the harbor. 
you know, they somehow could navigate not hitting these buildings, but for some reason that would hit their, their eyes and many would meet their end that way, slamming into the Statue of Liberty. He talks about how one morning in 1888, over 1,400 birds were found lodged in the crown, you know, up on the balcony, under, down below the pedestal. And he uses this as this illustration of how we in America can attract people but also end up harming them. And my question, Horace, is for us, the people of God, do we attract people? Do, and do we truly welcome? Like, are the nations, can they flourish in our midst? And the other question I would offer too is, who among us would God want to send to the nations, to the dangerous places, to those that haven't heard, to share the gospel of Jesus? Are we just about us and keeping the lights on here and, and the temperature right and keeping everybody happy? Or are we about something bigger? Now, the, the people, you may not know this, the people of Israel have argued that those servant songs in Isaiah are actually just talking about the nation of Israel. Okay, Christians have always said, no, there's clearly something more going on there, right? They point ahead to this Messiah that you're refusing to trust. But I'd say the reality is it's probably a both-and kind of thing. The nation of Israel was meant to be this kind of servant, but they failed. They rebelled against God. They turned away from the call. Jesus came and lived it out perfectly, and now he's forming this new nation comprised of people from every tribe and tongue and nation, disciples like you and me, and he's turning us into his servants, right? To the type of people who do what we read back in chapter five, that we would live as the light of the world, that we'd let our light shine before others, that people would glorify our Father in heaven. Carlos, let's receive these truths for ourselves and then let us go out, taking his justice with his gentleness to the world. Next week, um, we'll see the Pharisees battle against Jesus again. And as he lives, as the servant of God, his enemies continue to get angry. Um, As he casts out demons that are driving that opposition. Next week, if you've ever wondered, we'll look at that idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We see that. That'll be fun. So join us next week. Let's, Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, I I pray that um, we in Karis would be known for people that take your word seriously, that care about every clause, every article, every letter. But at the same time, Lord, we're, we're not satisfied unless it impacts our hearts and unless it um, changes the way we think and live. And I pray that you would do that today, Father. Make us people that that do shine over against a world that just lashes out at one another and never forgives. Make us different, I pray, so that we can honor you. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.